I really don't like um, words like artist or integrity or courage or nobility. I have a kind of distrust of all those words because I don't really know what those words mean. Any more than I really know what such words as democracy or peace or peace-loving or warlike or integration mean. And yet, one's compelled to recognize that all these imprecise words are kind of... Uh, Attempts <clears throat> made by us all to get to something which is real. Greetings, 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 good people, and welcome to another edition of Cat's Corner, the podcast. I'm your host, Mr. Cat, Cat Booker Day, and welcome to season four. Woo, there's a lot, y'all. There's a lot to talk about, and it is a weird time like early in the morning <laughs> that I'm doing this, but I finally hit a point where I was able to get caught up enough with my schoolwork where I feel like I can breathe a little bit better. And so I've been up working on a bunch of things that have just been kind of stuck in the creative backlog. And I just felt like I still had the energy and I wanted to finally get these thoughts down um, for this first episode. Lots has happened since our last episode, which was the conversation with Ida Kip and Kip Republic for my travels in the summer. And the next episode that you're going to hear after this one takes place while I was in Morocco. So I was in Morocco in October and um, it was all kinds of interesting. So you'll be able to hear kind of just me just getting some stuff off my chest. And, you know, I've decided that season four is going to be a lot more frequent and a lot more personal because I'm approaching my 50th year and I'm realizing that there's a lot that I want to at least document as part of my contribution to the larger conversation. So this very first episode is a love letter to the black creative specifically, because that's that's who I think needs to hear this. And this is being sparked by a couple of things that have happened over the last two years, but really some major things that happened at the beginning of this year. And just me sort of sitting in my creative space and then observing other creatives and realizing that sometimes we need a little pep talk. <laughs> and so this is a, this is a pep talk. Uh, what you heard leading into this episode is a portion of one of my favorite, I have a lot of James Baldwin speeches that I absolutely love, but this one is The Artist and the Search for Integrity, or The Struggle for Integrity. I can never remember which, which if it's strength, if it's search or struggle, but uh, the link for the full recording will be in the description so you can go listen to it for yourself. I was first exposed to it, oddly enough through a DJ mix by Oshin Lade. And it was his Mercury Retrograde mix. I can't remember what year he put it out, 
but a portion of the speech was in the mix. And I became obsessed with trying to find the speech. And at some point I found like five minutes of it. Then I tracked down the entire thing and now it's readily available on YouTube. So I'll make sure you get a a link to it. But what he talks about in that speech is that as artists, we are compelled. When I say artists, I, I mean creatives. We are compelled to do what we do. I don't think anyone would choose the kind of life that creatives lead on purpose. I think it's something that you are called to do. And in sort of bearing witness and doing the work of the visual and the performance and the writing, what you do is you you expose the truths of the world, the good, the bad, the ugly. And so I want to take you on a little journey with this episode to just sort of show you not just my process, but how my experiences and the experiences of others that I am really close to really do kind of help understand the creative life. And I'll start with a question that I got when I did the opera. So you may remember that I, or not, I can't remember what episode it is, but we'll put that in the description as well. I was asked to direct an opera earlier this year in May. And in order to do it the cultural architect way, I had to reframe the story because there was a black woman playing the lead for the very first time ever. And so in reframing the story, I essentially created a storyline that now effectively creates space for a black woman to take on this role in a way that I think is a little bit more authentic than the original, just because of how the original is set up. It's nobody's fault. It just is what it is. But uh, my good friend, DJ Stylus, asked me, he basically asked me, how do I work around imposter syndrome? And this question has come up again uh, recently in one of my classes. So I am also adjunct professor at Bowie State University, and I teach a class called Self-Promotion and Marketing for Artists. And it's a way for students to try to figure out what their voice is going to be, how they're going to use all of the skills that they're amassing. And, you know, for me, it's about how do you monetize it? How do you turn it into a sustainable way of living? And so they have to launch something at the end of the semester as part of their grade. And there's a really brilliant student in my class who is a filmmaker. And he also asked about this issue of imposter syndrome. So first, let me say that I've spent a lot of the last decade really decommissioning the conditioning and not to sound like like a motivational speaker, but that's essentially what I've had to do. I've had to really decommission the conditioning that sort of says to me that because I'm this, that, and the third, that I should only be doing A, B, and C. So when you do that, when you actively engage in decommissioning, you realize a couple of things. One, it is something you have to do every day. So every day I have to wake up and I have to shake off whatever sort of muscle memory around conditioning that exists. And as an eldest daughter of immigrant parents, there's a lot of conditioning that I've had to really acknowledge and really spend time understanding how it plays out in every aspect of my life. And we're actually going to do an episode on elder daughter syndrome because I've realized, particularly in this year, how dangerous it has been in how I have had to not only live my life, but in terms of how my creativity works. And so even, for example, the fact that I'm just now getting to this recording, I have a whole list of things. I had already decided season four was going to be stronger. We were going to be more consistent. And I had written down all these things. And all I had to do was sit down 
and record. And I allowed myself to get sort of pulled in all these other directions and my art, my creative practice essentially kind of stalled. And so when we are talking about imposter syndrome or any of the syndromes that creatives experience, we have to first understand that it's part of a larger conditioning, particularly as Black creatives. There is, I think, an intentional way in which Black folk are meant to feel bad for feeling good, for looking good, for expressing joy, for being excited about things. You know, there's always this push, be humble, do not do this, don't do that. And it's like, but why, why, why? And so the decommissioning is constantly asking, why, why should I? And imposter syndrome to me is a built in side effect of these systems that have constantly been making black folks feel bad for feeling good and for being good and for being smart and for being joyful. And so what I often tell clients, friends, students is you can't possibly be an imposter because you're doing the work. When I think about the people who come to me and when we have these conversations, they are often people who are busting their ass who are really intentional in their integrity and their work ethic. You know, not that that everybody doesn't have bad days, but these are people who've actually done the work. They're not charlatans. They're not biting off of other people. Like they are being called into these rooms, into these spaces because they have been doing the work. And so what I always ask all of us to remember is you've done the work. Of course, you're supposed to be there. Of course, somebody's supposed to ask you to direct an opera because they get what you do. And if somebody has said, hey, I see you, don't shirk from that because you've been creating. You know, the student, you know, he asked me this question and because he's starting to get more recognition and people are starting to recognize him and he's uncomfortable with it. I was like, but why are you uncomfortable with it? I mean, if you did not want to be recognized for your gifts, then why did you share them with everyone? I said, you're not, it's not like you made this up or you pretended. You actually came up with an idea. You funded, you know, this project on your own and you got it done. Why would you deny all of us the opportunity to celebrate you? And so the imposter syndrome piece is really, really important because I see how it undermines a lot of what we're trying to do as creatives, as artists, as people who really are nonlinear in the way that we do things. I see how it sort of chips away at our confidence and it chips away at our work ethic. And so when you are in that space where you're questioning, this is where you have to remember that you're doing the work. So of course, people are going to notice. Of course, they're going to want to work with you. Of course, they're going to invite you into these spaces. Of course, they're going to want to pay you because you have been doing the work. The other piece to that, though, is something I learned a while ago, the importance of an advisory committee. And I teach my students this, that we all should have those two or three people, maybe four or five, depending on your situation, who we trust implicitly, who we believe that they honestly have our best interest in heart and who we've given permission to hold us accountable. And I think I've talked about this before, but I think it bears repeating. An advisory council is important 
for any social creative practice because it's really easy to get caught up in your own nonsense and caught up in your head. And if you are not actively decommissioning the conditioning on a daily basis, you might not even realize that you're talking yourself out of your own greatness. And so the advisory committee is those people that you have designated as sort of your creative board. And because you trust them and because you've given them permission to hold you accountable, they can pull you up. They can ask you very direct questions. You can go to them with ideas and they're going to give you not only honest feedback, but they're going to give you the kind of support you're going to need to move forward. Like being a creative, it really should not be an isolated experience. And I think that's another piece of the conditioning that has been sort of fed to black folks that the struggle, you know, I got to grind. And oftentimes you're doing it alone. You're out here in the studio doing it alone. You're out here in front of the computer doing it alone. And while there are some aspects of my creative process, yes, like the fact that I'm sitting at my desk at what, 2.47 in the morning recording this podcast, when this is done, my dear, you know, editor Aileen is going to take over and manage the rest of this. And so it's not just me. When it's just me, things don't get done all the way. It's too much. Like once I'm done with something, I'm done with it. Whether it gets posted, put out, uh, shared is not important to me. Like if I've actually done it, like this podcast, if I didn't have an Aileen in my life, it would literally languish in my folder because the next steps of, you know, piecing it all together would take a lot more time than it should. Only because I understand now that as a visionary, it's sometimes hard for me to stop my brain long enough to actually do these other pieces. And so this idea of this lone wolf out here doing it all is that bullshit. And we really need to let it go. Like that is part of the conditioning. And I think that is also why imposter syndrome is able to flourish because there aren't other people around you to remind you like, yo, what are you talking about? You did that. So you should be able to bask in that. You should enjoy that feeling of accomplishment. Yeah, you should take that money. You should ask for more. So when I was talking to the various folks that were asking me this, you know, one of the things I realized was that um, I'm sure at some point I might have questioned something, but I can't honestly remember a time where I felt like, oh, am I, am I not supposed to be in this room? Or I was surprised because I made a decision a long time ago that faith and fear couldn't occupy the same space. And if I was going to do anything, I had to walk in the space of faith, not only in my creator and my ancestors and my guides, but also in myself. And so once I do a thing or once I say yes to a thing, I don't spend a lot of time wondering if I should be doing the thing. Once I'm like, yeah, I'm doing it. The, the next thing or the focus really is, okay, how do we get it done? And how do we get it done in a, in a way that um, is intentional, is of the highest possible quality and with integrity? And I, I don't think that that is an unreasonable way of being. I think it's the floor. I think that's what I would want for anybody who's, you know, on this creative path that we let go of the worrying of, should I be in the room? How did I get here? I think that if you've been invited to be there, then you're supposed to be there. Especially when we know that there are people who are more bodacious 
even if they're not as talented, who don't all who don't question, who just say yes, like, oh, yeah, I'm gonna go be in the room. So for those of you who experience that, understand that some of that imposter syndrome is being put on you. There is something about, you know, black people just enjoying themselves and being free and just being creative that I think rubs society, you know, away. And so part of the fight is understanding that so that no one can yuck your yum, as I've heard it said. So that's that's the first piece of this was that, you know, I really wanted to talk a little bit about the imposter syndrome piece and how we decommission these things that kind of get in the way and sort of stall our process. The other thing I wanted to talk about in my love letter to you, all you creatives, is this process of iteration. I've spoken about this before. Shout out to DJ Stylus again. He was the first person I'd, I'd ever heard say it when I was struggling and worried about I had done a website design. He was like, you know, perfect is the enemy of done. And it's a website. You can always just update it as you need. And while he was specifically talking to me about my worries about my website, it was something that resonated with me so deeply that I decided to apply it to everything. And I've always been a slash and burn kind of person, like do it all or do nothing. And, you know, no, no thermostat offer on and it gets things done, but it creates a lot of stress in between the getting ramped up to do it and actually doing it. And what I've had to do is take that idea of things being iterative and apply it to just about everything that I do. And this is a big part of the decommissioning of the conditioning. Uh, Great example is I'm a professor, as I've said before. I'm full-time at Prince George's Community College, and I'm also adjunct at Bowie State. And one of the things that I have to remember is that I'm the professor, (laughs) and I set the tone. And so if something's not working, whereas before I would kill myself to try to make an assignment work, or I would like bend, you know, I would do all of these things and accommodations Now I'm at a point where like, okay, you know what? We're going to take a step back. We're going to change the date and we'll take a breather and we'll come back to it. And in doing that and applying this idea of things being iterative to all aspects of my life, what it has done, it has allowed me to really lean into this idea of my creative practice being one big old experiment and that proof of concept has stages and that approaching things from the perspective of proof of concept, as opposed to, you know, if we don't get it done, it's going to be the end of the world, is a much healthier way of being. I know for a fact that as a Black woman, I have gone into spaces ready to kick ass and take and just do what I have to do because I don't know if I'm going to be asked back. And so I'm going to give you like 110, 150 that you didn't ask for, but I'm going to give it to you anyway, because I don't know if I'm going to be asked back. So I'm going to do everything I possibly can to get this vision off the ground when maybe I don't give you a hundred. Maybe I give you 70 because real talk, you're not paying me for a hundred, you know, and excellence and being number one and doing your very best are big aspects of what it means to be, you know, how we determine success. Anybody who has like parents, like immigrant children, we all know what that is, but just parents who are having to deal in oppressed states, we've all been made to feel like if you don't do well this first time, you will not get another opportunity to do well. And that's just not true. And even if it is true, 
that shouldn't be our problem. Like we should be able to go into spaces and genuinely work at a pace that makes sense for us and be able to like create something with the understanding that we can build on it. Because when you're always working from a place of, this is the only time I'm going to get it. This is the only way I'm going to be able to do it. And if I don't get it done this time, that's it. What ends up happening is you do end up giving people a lot more than they're giving you. And I've seen it in my own creative practice where I've basically overspent and lost money because I'm so busy outpacing the vision just to be able to say I did a thing a certain way. And I've learned over time that as a creative, I have a special sort of idea of what I want, but I also, my audience will be happy with what they get from me. And so I have learned to not be so slash and burn with it and to really just enjoy the proof of concept. When you put things in the perspective of proof of concept, it really alleviates the pressure of it has to be perfect. And I think the opera is a great example of that. At some point, I think everybody was worried because the timeline was really tight. And there was just the sense that, you know, none of us had worked in opera before except for the lead and the chorus. And so, you know, there was a concern that, you know, how are we going to be able to do this? Da, 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 da. And I remember telling uh, the producer, I was like, hey, how about we just treat this as proof of concept. You know, what we know is that the timeline is tight. What we know is that we've never worked in this area before. You paid for a license. Why don't we just do it, do the best we can, show that we can do it, and then go back and look and see how we can make it better. And that's what we did. And because we decided to approach it that way, because proof of concept became the goal, we were able to, I think, in a lot of ways, enjoy the process a lot better. And so proof of concept for me is just a way that I choose to approach a lot of my creative practice now. And the other thing it does is that it eliminates, I don't know if it eliminates, but it definitely reduces the anxiety of feedback that I think as a creative, sometimes you worry about. When you are operating from a place of, I'm just going to put this out here, see how people like it, you know, if they do, cool. If they don't, cool. But I'm going to do it because I want to see what it looks like. I want to see what it could be. Then you are able to really kind of lean into your creative practice, I think, a lot more honestly. And the noise around who's going to like it, what they're going to say, all of that for me goes away. So when I move into a space of, hey, proof of concept, we don't have to make it perfect. It doesn't have to hit all the marks. We just have to do it and let's see what it looks like. And I've actually enjoyed that being the way that I do things. The other piece to that though, is that when you are operating from that place, I think you can actually enjoy the process, but you get to see the successes, I think in a way that you just otherwise don't. And I'm reminded of one of my, I guess she's a friend and she's a comrade, but I think Sometimes there is like a mentor relationship and it depends on the day of the week. Sometimes she's mentoring me, sometimes I'm mentoring her. But she did an amazing, she had an amazing activation that I thought was just brilliant. And yes, there were things that needed to be tweaked for sure. But I was so excited for her because her vision, what she was able to execute for a first time of this vision was just stunning. And she couldn't see it. She couldn't see it. And, you know, I could tell that she couldn't see it. So at some point, you know, we had a little sidebar and I was like, listen, 
I know that right now all you're seeing are the things that aren't working, but I'm telling you as someone who is coming as an attendee, not just as your friend, not just as your big sister who loves you, this is a really dope situation. It rocks. I was like, there's some small tweaks that can be made, of course, to make it stronger and to make it more in line with what you want. But I said, like coming out the gate, this is dope. And it took her a while to be able to see it. But this is why the advisory committee is important. Because if you don't have people around you who love you and who can show you that things are actually okay, that things are not that bad, you will sit there and you will just spiral out. And I think that I was there, there was another sister that was there and there was just this really great sort of constant reminder like, yo, this is, I know, I know how you're feeling, but this is dope. And you should really just celebrate the fact that you got this off the ground because this is something that I think oftentimes for black folks, for black creatives, we are made to feel like if you don't knock it out the park the first time, then you suck. Um, We're never going to support you again. You're not going to get any more money from us. You know, I remember having a really great conversation years ago by a cat named York Eggleston, and it was a tech conference and it was specifically looking at investors, angel investors in particular. And we ended up having a really great conversation. And he was saying, you know, that when you think about coding and, and building these tech systems, what people really need is enough income to live on so they can focus their attention on what it is that they're building that, you know, he's like, I want to create a fund where, you know, black coders don't have to choose between, you know, going to work and paying their rent. Like I would love to be able to be like, here is a place to live for a year. Here is a stipend where all your bills are taken care of. And all you have to do is figure out how to crack this code. Because he said, that is really what is necessary in order to build the Facebooks and the Amazons and things of that nature. And he also pointed out that, you know, one of the reasons he was interested in investments was that he, you know, as someone who was an early adopter when it came to tech, when he would try to convince, you know, his community to help him out, you know, the the thought was, if I give you this money, I'm going to need this back immediately. So there wasn't a sense that I'm investing in you long term. It was really like, you don't have a lot of time. So I want my money back plus whatever you owe me, you know, uh, so you need to move fast. And some of these things take a little bit more time. And so this proof of concept piece is important because it, what it does is, is it allows us all to slow down and to let our expectations be more realistic with where we're actually starting. Because the beauty of being a black creative <laughs> is that you know, there's a whole line of people, generation after generation, who make amazing things out of nothing. It has become, it's our way. You know, we make, you, you give us, you give me $10,000, I'm gonna give you a $50,000 situation. But it's not fair because if I if I give you 50, a $50,000 situation and all you've given me is $10,000, then that's what you think I'm worth. And so the reason why the proof of concept understanding or just kind of reducing the stress around it has to be done, it has to be this way is because, again, you will end up at a deficit, not only energetically and psychically and emotionally, but potentially financially, because, you know, we will stretch a dollar in ways that other communities don't have to. And I'm reminded of when um, 
anybody who remembers audio trip, that's a great example. I remember thinking how excited I was to be able to like bring this event to life. And at the time, it was one of the bigger budgets that I'd ever gotten um, from a sponsorship uh, relationship. But I was also very much aware because I'd been paying attention and asking questions that it was a very small number compared to what white counterparts were getting. And so I made a decision that if I was going to give them, you know, LSP gold, they were going to have to pay for it. And what I had to do was accept the fact that I went over budget. You know, I did not, I don't know how to say this, but I, there was a way that I was managing everything where, yeah, I could have stuck with the budget they gave me and gave them a dope situation. But at some point I was like, if I was a white woman or white man, I would have gotten twice this and it would not be near the depth that you would have gotten would not, wouldn't touch what I'm doing with half this money. And so I made a decision to say, look, I'm out of money, so I'm going to need some more money. And you know what? It worked. I think the uh, one, I had an ally on the inside who really believed and understood my vision. And I also had proven that what I was doing, how I rolled, was someone who rolled with integrity and intention. And so when I was like, hey, I'm running out of money, I'm going to need more money, where initially I was told this is the budget, all of a sudden, a little bit more money was found. And what it taught me was that you can ask for more. It taught me that it's absolutely okay not to give 150% because your 100 in a lot of ways is the average person's 150. So you don't have to give it all away. And with that understanding, what ends up happening is that when the event is over, when the thing has been launched, um, you haven't given so much of yourself that there's nothing left to celebrate because that's the other piece. We can't see the wins right away. And sometimes that can be very distressing. Sometimes that can be the thing that stalls you because you can't see the winds. You know, I said something recently to someone because I, all I was thinking about was the fact that I hadn't recorded all of the podcast episodes that I had planned to have recorded by this point. And because I was thinking about that, you know, when they complimented me on something, I was like, yeah, I mean, it's okay, but I, it's still not enough. And they just, they stopped and they looked at me and they were like, what are you talking about? I was like, yeah, I mean, I know what it looks like, you know, on the gram, but I don't feel like I'm doing enough. And I got a stern talking to, and it was necessary. And I really appreciated that, like, yo, stop tripping because you can't see it. And this is why the advisory committee is important because sometimes you can't see it. And in not being able to see it, you reduce the success in a way that that I think is harmful. And, you know, when I think about that sort of constant, that pep talk that I gave the sister who couldn't see it in that moment, I was thankful that I was there to support and I was thankful that I was there to say the things that I said because it took a day. But once once she was able to kind of get out of her own way and kind of think about what was being said to her and look at it with those eyes, she could really appreciate the amazing success that it was. And I think it's important because I know too many creatives, too many artists who do feel overlooked, who do feel thrown away, who do feel like, you know, they're not appreciated because they aren't, you know, being asked to do this or that. They're not being featured here. They're not being, you know, they're not going there. And they don't see that the fact that they get up every day and they still do the art, they still create the art is the win. And sometimes that's cold comfort. But if with everything that we have been through, you are able to still 
create, I think that's the win. I think that's the joy. Like that's, that's the thing that proves, you know, you are truly that creative. You're that artist because you keep going back to it. Even if it doesn't pay, even if it doesn't love you back, you still get up and you're like, let me try. And so to be able to do that means that you're winning to me in ways that are far more compelling than if, you know, you just got the accolades. I mean, the accolades are nice, but I think when you can still get up, even without those, without that acknowledgement, without those accolades and create and produce, that is a sure shot sign that you're doing what you're supposed to do. So yeah, that's it. That's what I wanted to say. I wanted to to unload that because I think I've spoken about it in a, in a variety of ways, but I, I felt like for this first episode for the new season, I really wanted to start there because it's something that I've had to remind myself of um, more and more lately. And it feels good to share it, but it also feels good to know that it's recorded. So, you know, sometimes you got to be your own cheerleader. I can just go back and play this. So as we close, I just want to do these takeaways. You know, they're important to me. So the very first one is to remember that perfect is the enemy of done. Iterative, be iterative, like, you know, build on it. I've been teaching my students that very important process. You know, if you can't launch the whole thing, launch the concept. If you can't launch the concept, share a drawing, build on it things little by little to get that advisory committee. It's very important. You have people around you who not just big you up, but know who you can be, who know what you're capable of. Because at some point, there may be the people that talk you out of a bad decision as well that remind you, hey, you said you wanted to go left. So why are you going right? So that advisory committee is of the utmost importance. Proof of concept, live in that space, treat things as the experiments that they are. Enjoy the process of creating and problem solving from the place of this is what I do as opposed to this is what I have to prove. And I think if you can do that and you can make your creative output like a daily thing, you know, I realized in sitting here recording this, how much I missed recording. And I was like, well, I can't believe I let myself get so distracted with other things that I didn't do this. So this is your reminder. If this is your floor, you got to do this every day. And so I'm taking that to heart as well so that I can make sure that I meet the goals that I've set for myself in my creative practice. And that also means getting my studio finally up and running because, you know, I spent all this money to build the damn thing and I still haven't moved in for a variety of ridiculous reasons. So yeah, this is what it's about. We're going to get it together. We're going to make it happen and we're going to keep creating. So I'm going to sign off because this culture ain't going to make itself. And I'll see you back here for episode two. Thanks for listening. Thanks for hanging on. Thanks for uh, letting me be <laughs> as erratic as I've been with my with my posts. I promise you this season's going to be there's going to be a lot more stuff coming out because I got some great ideas and some plans already in place. Thank you all for listening and I will talk to you soon. Take care. It is impersonal. This force which you didn't ask for. And this destiny, which you must accept, is also your responsibility. And if you survive it, if you don't cheat, if you don't lie, it is not only, you know, your glory, your achievement. It is almost our only hope. Because only an artist can tell, and only artists have told, since we have heard of man, what it is like 
for anyone who gets this planet to survive it. Thank you for listening. It means a lot to me. Wanted to let you know that Cat's Corner, the podcast, is produced by Little Sosa Productions and edited by Aileen Andrada of Your Pod. But if you'd like to follow us, you can check me out at Cat's Corner Co., K A T S K O R N E R C O, on all platforms and LSP underscore on the go. Tune in next time for another edition. As always, we appreciate your listen. Don't forget to like and subscribe so that you can be updated as new podcasts come in. Take care. Oh.